Thank you to Royal Creek Ranches, this episode's sponsor. Me and my sister Amy recently had the awesome opportunity to visit Royal Creek Ranches and stay at one of their incredible cabins. If you know Chad Hymas, he is the owner of Royal Creek Ranches. Chad Hymas is an incredibly successful motivational speaker who's making a great impact. Check out his website, royalcreekranches.com, to find out all about their sheep camps, their cabins, their tent sites, all the cool things they're doing on his property there. to I See You, a podcast where we advocate that compassion and connection save lives. They also make life pretty cool. I'm your host, Julie Lee. I see you. Welcome to the I See You podcast. This is episode 95, a conversation surrounding feminism. Hey everybody, I'm excited to be with you today. It's beautiful and wintry outside and I'm sitting here in my kitchen, which is fun because I usually record up in my little corner in my room because Rob took over the podcast room because like a lot of you, uh, he is working from home now. But it's nice to be out here with the big windows and just have this beautiful nature to look at as we talk and I'm extra excited because across the table from me is my good friend Brock Jones. Brock... Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad to be here, Julie. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's going to be fun. So I'm really excited. I invited Brock here today because we've had some interesting conversations in the past, and I've had some interesting conversations with his incredible wife, Amy Jo, who we love, surrounding this topic of feminism. I wanted to record it and to talk about it with you today. Brock, will you start by, will you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, for sure. Um, So Amy and I have been married... For, well, we're going on 14 years here in a couple weeks. We have a daughter, Sammy. She's 18. We lived in Spanish Fork for, well, three years now. And we came down here because I got a job teaching at UVU. I teach English and creative writing at UVU. That's my background. My PhD is in English literature and creative writing. We, as a family, love everything outdoors. We love to go hiking. and, And I've recently gotten into trail running, which is both terrifying and really fun. (laughs) Um, We just consider ourselves to be, you know, trying to live the dream, I guess. Yeah. You guys are awesome. I just, I love this family so much. My son, Sam, who's five, loves your daughter because it's a girl named Sammy too. And anyways, he always thinks of you guys like that. You have a military background as well. Concurrent with all of the, all of the civilian career stuff, nearly 20 years in the army. So um, I've been in the national guard for most of that, I spent four and a half years on active duty in the beginning of the war in Iraq, and then I've been in the National Guard for the last 15 or so years. It's been a, a, a good ride, a wild ride, being in the military during you know the last 20 years of conflict we've been in. But it's really shaped our, our family's dynamic, too. I oftentimes forget to talk about the military side when I'm talking about, about other things, but that, is, that played a huge role, I think, in who I am. Yeah, I can see that just in that I feel like your family, I don't know everything about you guys, but you have a really calm, thoughtful feel in the way that you speak. And you guys have certainly seen a lot of different perspectives as a family. Well, we're shaking things up a bit. We're going to have a white male talk to us about feminism. And I love it. I love it so much, right? I love it because it's something that I've wanted to have a conversation about because I know that I have interesting feelings about the subject that I want to figure out. And 
you and Amy Jo both have really given me a cool perspective on the idea of feminism. What does that word mean to you? What does feminism mean to you? First of all, I want to encourage people who are listening, right, to not just turn the episode off because we're talking about feminism. Because I think that I think the tendency oftentimes can be to sort of switch off when we're talking about things we feel like don't apply to us. And in my mind, feminism is a movement, is a, a theory, a social movement that involves everybody. It's not simply this idea of advancing women and everyone else is sort of left behind. And for me, feminism is a movement towards equality. A lot of feminist thinkers in, in all aspects have advanced sort of the notions of equality. In my field of, of teaching, I currently feel like I am espousing feminist ideas in the classroom of how to run a classroom, how to decentralize authority, how to give voice to all students, not just those who are most vocal. Feminism for me is a lifestyle toward equality. And that doesn't mean when we're seeking equality for a group that is felt marginalized in some way, that another group is denigrated in any way, right? Right. Um, feminism for me is not seeking to advance women or, or any group to the detriment of, say, men, right? Because I think there's, there's this idea amongst people that feminism is sort of anti-male, I don't see that in my own experience, in my own reading, in my own practice. That certainly can exist, but that is not what I understand feminism to be. My wife and I, have we both consider ourselves to be feminists. We've gotten there through different means. My wife, through study and lived experience, right? Because she as a woman has a totally different experience than I have as a man. And I've gotten there through looking at it from an outsider, talking to her, reading and experiencing it in a different way, right? Gaining that knowledge in a different way. We both, I feel, have come to the place that we're at right now in our understanding of feminism together, although we've gotten there a little bit differently. So you kind of touched on this already. What are some of the biggest misunderstandings surrounding this topic of feminism? I think I should probably say, first of all, this is how I understand this to be, right? This is my experience. And, um, other people's experience certainly would be different, and I respect that completely. I'm not the authority on this by any weird stretch of the imagination. <laughs> One of the misunderstandings, as I understand it, is that feminism, as I've already said, is this movement to sort of denigrate men in some way. I don't believe that that's the case. I think that any movement that seeks to, to build equality and equity seeks to do so for everyone. Men and women, both, are socialized in the same system, right? So we're affected by it in different ways, but we're all affected by that cultural system. Feminism seeks to bring that to light so that we can learn to live more authentic lives within that system. Another one, I think, is that it's sort of a theory that is nice to kind of learn about, but not put into practice in one's life. That has certainly happens to me, being a guy who's really into like theorizing and thinking and processing things in my head. Oftentimes, these, these kinds of theories pop into my head and I think about them, but, but they don't really become part of my practice. For me, feminism, in order to be feminism, is a, a lifestyle, a practice, a way of engaging out there with the world. Misconceptions that feminists are what we understood them to be, you know, during second wave feminism during the 60s and 70s, which were super militant, anti-male, at least in some certain circles, you know, the image that our parents have, I think, of what feminism is, is not what it is. Feminism is a movement that whether you are a woman whose primary work is within the home, 
or whose primary work is outside the home or who, you know, has chosen any pathway. It's for all of those people. I think there's this notion that feminism doesn't apply to me if, if a woman is at home raising children, but that's not true either. You can absolutely be feminist in the way you raise your children and not have full-time work outside the home, right? Absolutely. Feminism can be the little teeny moments you have in raising your daughters and your sons in the way that they interact with the world, right? The way that they see inequality and the way that they address that inequality is established inside the home with mothers and fathers, right? It's not just the mom's job to teach or to, to espouse feminist ideas or ideas of equality and equity. It's a parental job. That also is, leads to one of the other misconceptions about feminism is that it's not for men. I think that it is. So feminism is about the inequality and power that seems to exist in the world, right? And if we don't get men involved in that, I don't know how those differentials become more equal. I don't, I don't see how it's possible. Well, and don't you think that it becomes a us versus you more easily if we don't get men on board too? It does feel more like we're competing against something instead of that we're in the same race together and we're yeah. trying to lift each other Absolutely. to the same platform. Absolutely. It's similar to the recent and last summer and continuing anti-racist movements, mm -hmm. right? A lot of people think that that is just a people of color, right? That that's mm -hmm. their movement. But no, in order for equality to be distributed, everyone has to participate. Right. I wrote this chapter in my book called A Conviction to Listen, talking specifically about this. We all have our different convictions, right? We all have our different life experiences that make us really passionate about certain subjects based on what we have experienced and maybe the wrongs that we've seen and the positive things we've seen. But if we all adopt this conviction to pause and listen to each other and let everyone have their moment as well, validate all pain, that validating someone else's pain does not diminish your own. Yeah. Right. I mean, I have a friend who I know that in high school as a white girl, she was beat up, you know, by a group of black African-American girls. I think she's had to process this Black Lives Matter movement. What does that mean about my experience? Does that diminish her own pain? And I think yeah, it doesn't yeah. have to. It absolutely doesn't have to. By recognizing that there are that there is systemic racism out there does not devalue the fact that she was attacked. Right does not devalue the fact that a certain group of people attacked her, does not denigrate the fact that And maybe she was even hurt. based on her her skin color, maybe it was racism that way as well. It certainly, right? it certainly could be, right? Ra right. Racism it, it exists everywhere, right? Right. By me saying that though does not diminish the fact that I believe there are racist policies and and systems in place that have tipped the power away from peoples of color. Yes. But also that doesn't that doesn't change the fact that your friend was attacked. I think you're right. I think seeing and recognizing everyone's pain, being willing to listen to people, being willing to nuance your thinking a little bit from binaries, right? Right, wrong, good, bad, to shades. Nuanced thinking for me, I feel, I feel like it's gone away in the last number of years, just given the political kind of climate, right? Where uh, the ability to kind of think about these contradictions that exist out there in the world has gone away because we, we just immediately, or politicians at least, immediately dismiss anything that's not in line with whatever their ideas are. And so nuanced thinking, I think, is, is an important part of this. There are difficulties in thinking through the contradictions that exist. 
thoughtful, intelligent, intelligent people seeing what's going on in the world, thinking about it clearly and conversing with other people, seeing them for who they are and what their pain is, I think is always a good way to go. Well, and it comes back to being able to hold more than one emotion at once, I yeah. think, which is something we all have to find a way to do through different life experiences. I know that has been a huge growing thing that I have had to work through that has changed my life is learning to be able to hold one experience and then say, yes, and this. We kind of went on with race a little bit, but there's some correlation there There of these principles learned. Have I seen messages by people who claim to be feminists that I think that are degrading towards men? Yes. And do I think there has been unfair treatment holistically towards women in the past? Absolutely. And I can hold both of those. And that doesn't mean that I do not subscribe to feminism then because of that board I saw that was trying to tear down men, right? We can hold both of those in our hands and look at them. We absolutely can. In fact, I, I quote this a lot. My wife will probably laugh when she hears this. Walt Whitman, pretty famous American poet, 1800s, during the Civil War, in his book, Leaves of Grass, Song of Myself, the poem, he has a line, a couple lines that say, you say I contradict myself? Very well, I contradict myself. And then he goes on to say, I contain multitudes. His whole poetic project seems to be like inclusivity of all, of everything and everyone that was out there. He's basically advocating, I think, for this, what you just said, to be able to hold all of these contradictions in our in our hands while still remaining clear-eyed in the thought processes. And you said it perfectly, I think, Julie. You said there's this thing and there's also this other thing. And you use that conjunction and instead of but, right? There's right. this thing, but there's this yes, thing. Yes, and. Seems to be exclusive, right? And so having that attitude of, yes, there's this experience and there's also this experience, and there's also that experience, and then trying to trying to settle that in our minds is uh, is a project for a lifetime. That is it's difficult, right? That's where that nuanced thinking has to come in. I've been watching this show about comedy sketch and about how to be a comedian, mm-hmm. which is not. I'm not trying to be a comedian. <laughs> Don't worry, everyone. Don't worry. <laughs> the purpose of being on stage when you're on stage, the best comedians when they're working with other comedians, they make each other look good. That's the best way to be a successful comedian. And so they talk about that phrase, yes, and. And I love that so much because I think, what if we adopt that principle in our life of we're constantly trying to make each other look good, not in a way that we care what people think, but that we're trying to lift each other up. And it's always yes, and is our answer instead of the but. Yes, and. You have this experience. Yes, and this, and not but. Yeah, absolutely. I I think you said it perfectly. I want to take a second to look at those women and men who do feel resistance against feminism because they have had genuine negative experience in the past. Maybe for a man, he feels like he did not get a job he deserved because that company had a quota to fill to to hire so many women. Mm -hmm. And that's frustrating for him. He does not feel any negativity towards women. In his brain, he thinks, absolutely, if she's better fit for the job, she should get it. But I want the person to get the job that I feel like is best equipped. And I feel like I was the better choice. But because she was a woman, and because there is this push for feminism, I believe that's why she got the job. Now, we could argue all day whether he's wrong or right about that. But let's just say he's right. And maybe there was a quota to fill. What would be your response to that complicated situation? That's a really tough question, first of all, I think. I think my response would be 
first thing that comes to my mind is essentially the conversation we've been having for the last couple of minutes. And that is, I will always try to validate a person's experience. If that's the experience that they have, I think validating that experience is, first of all, something that we should do, right? Yes, you have this experience. Now what? And I think the now what is kind of goes back to something that my Amy, Joe, and I have talked about. And that is that we agree that if people understood, I think, what feminism is really trying to accomplish, if we understood it to be this uh, seeking equality, that gets administered in ways that are suspect for sure, right? But that the intention of the movement itself and those out there kind of theorizing about it is equality across the board. If that's what I believe that to be, then I would would ask that person, whoever feels sort of let down by feminism in any way, to not close off the possibility that that wasn't illustrative of the movement itself. Whether it's feminism or whether it's some other thing that get that, that gets in their way, right? That there are always going to be people who maybe aren't living the the principles that they espouse in a way that is that makes sense to you or to me to to give them that kind of that kind of leeway, right? So if a man or if anyone feels like they were they did not get a job that they were qualified for and they they feel like it was simply because to meet some EO requirement that that one single thing right that equal employment opportunity is one aspect of the movement what i would ask of that person would be to reengage with the ideas and the ideals behind feminism and to not look so closely at the ways that people are failing to live those values it's often seen as this quota thing, right? Where like, where like we have to hire a certain number of this particular category. And I think that, that that's a misunderstanding on all sides of what feminism, of what equality seeks to do. But it's certainly, those, those accounts are certainly out there. Well, and a more specific question for us to discuss, and I'm, I'm figuring this out too. Do we think that's wrong? A man and a woman are interviewed for a position and let's just say, the man is more qualified. But because of EO, because of wanting to balance things, the woman is hired. Do you think that's wrong? So I think that any inequality is wrong. Absolutely. But the question, the the thing that always remains in my mind is if I'm that man and I feel that that's the case, am I getting the whole story? If I perceive that I've been slighted because of this job, how do I know that it was only because she's a woman? First of all, And then second of all, what other factors could have fallen into that, right? I've interviewed for a lot of jobs out there, different jobs, not just in academia. And I've always felt bad when I don't get the job, but I've always tried to like look at the ways in which what I can control in that situation. I think that the most qualified person should be getting the job. But the question remains, though, outside of that particular example, the question remains, Like if we feel like as a culture that we have to give women or people of color opportunities for jobs or that we're just giving them to them to fill some quota, and I put quota in air air quotes, right? Yeah. Let's look at what's underlying that need or that push. And that is that there are traditionally, right? Women and people of color are traditionally less represented in a lot of fields And so the fact that we feel the need to give them maybe more of a, quote, equal opportunity, I don't think that that is necessarily wrong. That, that, that impulse, right? Yeah. Like we good intentions. Our intentions are good and that we want to sort of show women and people of color that they are welcome into a career field that maybe or into a job that hasn't been welcoming to them. 
if we look at the impulse as opposed to the manifestation of that impulse, I think that it's good and right that we that we seek to get more women and more people of color into these career fields, into these jobs that have been traditionally manned by men and particularly white men. We can critique the mode of that coming into existence, but the impulse for me is where I choose to focus on that. That doesn't mean that people can't feel, right, mistreated in some way. For certain, that's sad and I hate to hear that. I want to look at why that that need exists even towards the impulse behind our seeking to bring more women and more people of color into particular career fields is good. And I support that. That was a very long answer. (laughs) I think I went around it like six times. (laughs) I feel like my brain is like... Okay, and this, and this, and this, of all these follow-up questions, because these are the lot of conversations I've been having with people. And and as a woman, and I keep going back to the job example, right? There's so many different situations. But as a woman, I don't think I would want to get a job that I was not as qualified for because I'm a woman and not because of my skill set. If I'm being honest, I think that for me, that feels like I'm being put down in a way. Certainly. And And so it's like this complicated thing where, because I absolutely have seen that women have not been given opportunities because of their gender. Sure. Yes. And I also want to get a job based on my skill set, not my gender. Yeah. So it's complicated. Absolutely. It's absolutely complicated. And you bring something up that Amy, Joe, and I were just talking about actually. And that is that just because someone has a place at the table does not mean that they have a voice at that table, right? So, yes. like, so like we can certainly and we should certainly seek to bring women and people of color into spaces where they, where they haven't had as much access as they should have. Absolutely, we need to do things to do that. But if we're just bringing them in to make some show of quality and equity, but they, they still do not have a voice at those tables, right? that is not what feminism seeks to do. Right. That's or, kind of handicapping them to, yeah. to make it a show of it and to not actually have their voice be heard of what yeah, they abso- need. Yeah, absolutely. Being of the, the class of people, white male, throughout history has had access to all of the opportunities out there. I don't particularly see an issue with trying to fill our tables, metaphorical, whatever those tables are, with other voices, with female voices, with gay voices, with people of color voices, with all the kinds of voices that are out there. I don't see a problem with that as long as it's done in a way that actually values those voices and not just not just to like tokenize them in some yes. way, right? That's a really great point you brought up. I love this conversation as a feminist and as a man. How do you support the women that are closest to you in your life? So I'm going to I'm going to sidestep for just a moment and then come back to that yeah. to that question. I hope the question that you're asking doesn't get at doesn't isn't approaching it from the idea that like in order for a woman to be feminist, that the man, the man has in her life support. has to give like permission to do right. support, right? Right. Because my wife is a is a very strong woman. She would choose to be how who she is, whether I was was supportive or not, right? Right. I feel like I am supportive. I try to be, man. I fail and I, I try and I fail. In all things. I wanted to just push back a little bit on the question itself and approach the answer to that question as one of mutual growth. My wife has become a feminist in the last eight to 10 years at the same time that I feel like I have been becoming a feminist. So I see it more as mutually supporting each other in these kinds of, in these journeys. In the last 10 years, I went to get a master's degree. I went to get a PhD. Amy Jo went back to school. 
She's had to go, unfortunately, slower than I have gone just because the roles that we have chosen to play for each other, it brings such gratitude to my heart for her willingness to do that. Through those same 10 years, we've, we've taken, I talked about it earlier, we, we've taken a, a journey towards understanding you know, ourselves and where, what kinds of people we want to be in the world. And we've come to the same place with different paths to that place. It's been one of kind of mutual support. I've made mistakes as all husbands do and as all spouses do. I've made mistakes. She's made mistakes. But we're committed to each other enough to sort of want to support each other in the pathway that we've chosen. It just so happens that that has led us to be to espouse feminist ideals of how to live our lives. Also, for me, it's been about teaching. I'm consistently thinking of new ways, trying to find new ways to engage my classes. Those are consistently more feminist ideas about, about teaching and administering classroom, being authoritative in the classroom, how that shows up. For me and Amy Jo, it's more certainly supporting each other, but not, not me supporting her as she goes off and, quote, does her feminist stuff, right? But like making our life together mean more, be more about, about making the journey together. When all is said and done, feminism for me and any movement toward equality is at its best, is something that I can get on board with when it seeks to empower people who have felt disempowered in any way. It seeks to empower all people to live the life that feels most authentic to them and that helps them to accomplish that thing. Enhances the quality of life for other people, enhances the quality of life for myself, and gives us all the opportunity to live the most authentic life that we can live. If you're unable to, to get ahead in any way, right, or if you feel like you, you're being thwarted because of race, class, gender, ethnicity, etc., etc., that's taking away from that person's ability to live, I think, the life that maybe they, they want to choose to live. And that's what all of this kind of comes down to for me. I think that scarcity plays a lot into reasons why people feel against feminism, because there's this idea that there's only so much opportunity. So if someone else has opportunity, then we have less. I've attended quite a bit of National Speakers Association meetings, and they talked about this idea of a pie. And I'm probably butchering it, but the way I remember is it's like, if someone else gets a speaking gig then they're taking out a piece of the pie and there's not as much left. And and the response to that was, well, then we need a bigger pie. Like, yes, and for each other. That building up women doesn't mean that there is less pie for men. It's just making a bigger pie. We yeah. just keep making it bigger and bigger. And, and it goes back to that job scenario, right? Yeah. If a woman gets a job, then are there going to be less jobs for men? And I don't even know exactly what the answer is, but I think that's the fear behind a lot of the resistance that feminism gets is a scarcity mindset, yeah. which I feel like scarcity mindset, I don't know about you, but in my own life, whenever I have a scarcity mindset, that never leads to good things. Mm -hmm. But when mm -hmm. I have an abundance mindset, right, and a, and a growth mindset, I feel more motivated to love the people around me. That always leads to more success for me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that for me, the scarcity mindset is a form of control, right? Thinking very capitalistic and very economically, if I can control the goods, right? If I, can, if I control the amount of something that's in, in any given market, then I have control of the, the people who need that, that thing, right? So if, if, I, if I build a scarcity mindset in any situation to where there's a finite, a finite number or finite set of possibilities, then it's always going to breed competition. I've got to get ahead. 
And by me getting ahead, that means this person's not getting ahead. In my field, I'm a poet. I teach poetry. I write poetry. I have to publish poetry, right? And we publish in publish individual poems in journals and whatnot. There, there can easily become a scarcity mindset amongst poets and people in this field because there are only a certain number of places that publish, right? And there's a, there are a ton of them, but there's a finite number of them. And so if we get, if we begin to think about the scarcity mindset, we don't celebrate other people's successes. Mm -hmm. We see that as like uh, something that takes away from my possibility for success. And I think that this, the scarcity mindset is so detrimental to communities that should be seeking to like celebrate and advance each other because just because one person gets a major prize or wins the Pulitzer or whatever, right? Or, or, or has a poem published in the New Yorker. That doesn't denigrate me in any way, right? I should be happy for that person. But the scarcity mindset kind of prevents that happiness. And that for me, I, I agree the, the abundance mindset allows us to be happy, to like be celebratory of every person's success. I feel like, yes, let's, let's build a bigger, a bigger and a better pie, right? When it comes to, when it comes to equality and gender equality and race, ethnicity, equality in all of those areas, I think, yes, let's build a bigger, a better, a more inclusive pie and the mindset that comes with that for sure. Just because I know that what some people are going to be thinking with this is they're going to say, okay, but Brock, there are only a certain amount of jobs. And maybe that's an answer we don't have. Yeah, and I don't know. Or a that... faith in a future we don't know about. Maybe that goes on. I mean, for me, that's what that looks like is I just think whenever I'm bettering other people, I just feel like good things come. And so yeah. I have faith that that pie will get bigger. And I don't know exactly what that looks like. I think choosing, choosing to see every experience that's something that is not ever taken away from us, right? Choosing how we how we interpret or see a, a certain experience. Even in a, an uber capitalist market, there are only a finite number of jobs. And we're always talking about like every month job numbers, right? Jobs are up, jobs are down. The job for me, I feel like there is something if we go even farther back, whatever's driving that, right? That need for the job. I don't have the answer, but I wonder if it's not changing our mentality, not wrapping our whole identity up in the job. That doesn't change the fact that I have to provide, you know, that you have to provide for family or that you have mouths to feed, et cetera, et cetera. You don't have to provide for yourself. But there always seems to be something about the choice we make in how we come to understand and process that, right? And I don't have the answer for that. I think it comes in the act of choosing. And David Foster Wallace was a, a, a pretty famous writer in the early 2000s. He died in uh, about 2008, I think. He gave a commencement speech at Kenyon College called This Is Water. You can find the whole speech basically online. It's really pretty famous. But he talks about humans falling into their default setting, which is to be completely and utterly self-centered. And we are, we're naturally, right? We experience the world through our eyes, through our emotions, through our feelings. His whole thesis is essentially that if we choose to think a certain way, that's good. If we just fall into that way of thinking without think, without choosing, that, that is the, that's the, the thing that he's critiquing, right? And that we should be cognizant of that default setting. Choosing to see things not as being, I did not get that job, but that maybe there's a better one for me out there. Maybe I'm happy that that other person got this job. Now let me go find the better job for me. And I know like our conversation is kind of filtered around jobs a lot, 
But there are many, many aspects, I think, that can also fit into that. And so choosing to have that mentality also, like if you feel that feminism is like an assault on your beliefs or or ideas, recognizing that and then choosing to readdress that is what I would hope that everyone would do, not just with not just with feminism, but with all of the theories that you come in contact with, all of the thoughts and ideas that you come in contact with would be to you know, have your initial response to it, but then kind of critique that initial response, add some nuance to that thinking and see where that gets you as opposed to, you know, just sort of falling into the default of that scarcity mindset. Brock, thank you for being on the podcast today. Oh, it's been absolutely my pleasure. I appreciate having the conversation. <laughs> I feel like this conversation has been like life-changing for me personally, just listening. I talk a lot about black and white thinking, right? Yeah. And about thinking in color. And I, I just think there's so much false safety mm-hmm. in the idea of thinking in black and white and absolutes and all of those things that we both, I think, try to rid ourselves of in our lives to be able to sit and listen, yeah. to be willing and brave enough to change how we think about something based on new experiences and new evidence, which I find myself needing to do every day. So many of the principles we've talked about bleed into other areas of our lives everywhere. But because we're speaking specifically feminism, someone that's listening to this, that's just like, I don't know. I just, you know, like this is comfortable here to just see feminism as angry women that want to put down men, you know, like Mm -hmm. those, maybe those things they were taught in their home or, Maybe some of those extreme views they have seen, like we're going to see in any group of people, what's like your last challenge to them if they're just sitting on the fence there, like, I don't know if I want to embrace this or not. I don't know if I want to look at it more. For me, that question is is a way of living life, right? That we're confronted with things that we don't fully understand. Maybe we don't want to understand. Maybe we're, like you said, comfortable in our understanding. My encouragement would be, I think just echoing what I've already said, just have a willingness to reevaluate. Find the things about, specifically, we're talking about feminism, find those principles about feminism that you feel like you can espouse for now. Pull those into your, into your life. Be willing to look for and find those those aspects of feminism that make sense for you now, right? And then be willing to try to, to live those and not close off the possibility that there is more than what you currently understand. I think that's a way of living life that, that makes good sense to me, right? And just in terms of in everyday life, we have our ways of thinking that we're comfortable with. But I don't know of anyone who would say, anyone that's like successful in any, in any setting that would say like comfort or comfortableness actually led me to, you know, come up with the cure for whatever disease or whatever, right? right? Having that, the mindset that I'm willing to engage is, I think, a first step with anything. Because the moment we're not willing to engage with someone else or with an idea is the moment we've shut down a lot of possibility for ourselves. Just to be willing to engage and not shut down the possibility that there is something for you in feminism. In my own life, I found I get closer to truth the more I know, not the less. Mm. So instead of looking at something and disregarding it because it doesn't make sense in my head, I'm trying. I fail all the time, but I try to look at it with the idea and the mantra of maybe I don't know enough instead of I know too much, right? Yeah. Yeah, Maybe I don't know if maybe there's more to this to understand. That doesn't mean I'm going to agree with everything that confronts me, but I usually, if I take that mantra, I usually find more in common with people 
than less once I know the whole story. Yeah. Once I know more. Absolutely. And disagreement, I think we take that often as a negative thing, right? But disagreement with something allows us to finalize our thoughts about a thing, right? If anyone disagrees with something that I've said, and there probably will be people who disagree with something that I've said today, that gives you a chance to look at what it is you do agree with and finalize your thoughts and beliefs on that thing. That is a good thing as well. Yeah. I mean, I feel like there's been things where you've started to say, even today, where I started going, oh, I don't know, Brock. But then it's like, as I ask more and you tell me more, I'm like, oh, I agree with you more than I thought I did at the beginning of that statement because we flushed it out and because I was able to think about what I think. Yeah, absolutely. Brock, thanks for being on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. It's been awesome. Another shout out to our amazing sponsor of this podcast, Royal Creek Ranches, owner Chad Hymas. They are doing incredible things on his land out in Tooele County, Utah. They have an event center where they're putting on events. They have cabins. They have sheep camps. They have tent sites. So many amazing things to enjoy over there. Make sure you check out royalcreekranches.com to find out about all the awesome things they're doing in that beautiful piece of wilderness there. I see you podcast listeners. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate those that have gone and bought my book. I see you, How Compassion and Connection Save Lives. You can find it on Amazon, cedarfort.com, walmart.com, lots of places. Keep sending me those selfies and those, those stories about the way it's impacted you. That's been really meaningful for me. Until next time, my name is Julie Lee, and I see you.